me. Exodus chapter 20, we're looking at verses 8 through 11 this morning. We'll actually be kind of jumping around, really going backwards to Genesis, early passages of Genesis and a couple other passages we'll look at together. But um, this will be the main passage we'll be considering. So there are, there are plenty of ceremonial laws in the Old Testament that were not inherently inherently right or wrong um, in and of themselves, just in, in the practice of them. They, they were temporary laws meant for a specific people in a specific time and place. And an example would be how certain food was forbidden under the Mosaic dietary laws. Food in itself is not, you know, good or bad, right? but, but certain ones were forbidden for a temporary time. Um, but now they are permitted, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. So ceremonial laws have been fulfilled and abrogated by Christ and his death, his life, death, and resurrection. However, moral laws are permanently binding on all people. And so a summary of the moral law is contained in the Ten Commandments. This is consistent with our confession and catechism. And although they, most people will not, most Christians would not say it quite so plainly, I think they would agree with the following statement. I believe in all nine of the Ten Commandments. Hey, they, they, they look at the Ten Commandments, they say, yes, I, I agree with all nine of those. They, they have a hard time understanding this fourth one, right, the honoring or remembering the Sabbath day. The fourth commandment is the one commandment we try to avoid talking about at all costs. Either we feel too much conviction about it, or we don't feel enough conviction and we'd like to keep it that way. Due to the significant amount of confusion regarding the fourth commandment, I do want to spend enough time in this. We'll, probably, we'll spend at least three weeks um, considering this topic. And so you'll have to bear with that timeline. But today we're going to look at two things in particular. We're going to look at the origin of the Sabbath commandment leading up to and including the passage that we'll be reading this morning. We'll go all the way back to the account of creation in Genesis. We'll trace some important passages leading up to the observance of the Sabbath as described here in Exodus 20. And then next week, I want to spend time, I hope, to focus on the purpose of the commandment. And right, this is the first commandment that is worded in a positive way. But we still tend to treat it in the negative. We think about all of the things that we cannot do on the Lord's day. Right? We, we question, can we do this? Can we do that? Are we allowed to do this? And then we find every loophole and argument that might be a problem for us that would get us out of any sense of conviction for something that we would like to do. Right? But whenever we downplay the, the positive side of this command, we lose sight of its primary purpose. And so we do need to take some time to consider the, the prophets and how they looked at the Sabbath. And so finally, we'll close out by focusing on some of the New Testament passages that address the Sabbath. That's when we'll consider some of the more practical questions. Um, not only 
why we worship on Sunday rather than Saturday. We'll actually look at that very briefly today. But what aspects of Sabbath worship are still binding today? Um, and we'll look at practical steps for observing, observing the Christian Sabbath in our modern context. And we'll, we'll be doing that throughout, um, but we'll, spend the bulk, we'll save the bulk of that for that last uh, sermon. So before we read this passage, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. All of it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correction for training and righteousness. Lord, we need to grow and understand your word more, and we need to be corrected. Lord, we need to be willing to align ourselves with the clear teaching of your word, not to, to kick against it. Lord, not to try to excuse it or minimize it. So Lord, I, I recognize that as, as we consider this topic, there's no sense in which I'm preaching to the choir here, Lord. We all come under this and, and, and have some sense of guilt and, and rebuke from this command. Lord, we don't, we don't uh, come to this passage with a, a, a great sense of, of confidence that we have upheld it in every sense of its meaning. So Lord, help us to, to feel the right sense of conviction but also help us to be comforted and reminded of the grace and mercy that is held out to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to leave here in such shame and guilt that we, we remain there. Lord, we want to be encouraged and built up, and we want to see the, the, the privilege of honoring this day, the privilege of remembering it. Lord, it's a blessing to do so. As we, as we honor you in the way that you've commanded us to, Lord, it, it causes us to experience our hearts. So transform us from one degree of glory to the next after the image of your Son. As we sit under your word, Lord, do a work in our hearts for your glory. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Read with me. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, we're just going to see two things, as I've mentioned already, the origin of the Sabbath and then the observance of the Sabbath. The origin of the Sabbath and the observance of the Sabbath. The first place we look to for the origin of the Sabbath is actually in Genesis chapter 2. So turn, with, turn back there with me, Genesis chapter 2. And we'll consider those first three verses from that passage. Actually, as you're turning there, I'll just mention the reason why we, we focus upon the origin of the Sabbath is because it's the reason given in verse 11 of Exodus 20. We, we read, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. 
remember the Sabbath day because in six days God created the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So we want to go back and, and consider why it's important to understand the pattern of God's own rest here in this passage. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Several uh, important things from this passage to consider, but we are to rest after the manner in which God rested from his work of creation. It continually says all his work of creation, but it's, it's not that God is, is inactive, that he did this creative work and then he, he just kind of passively, passively observes as, as we wreak havoc upon his good creation. And no, God is intricately involved. He, is, he remains sovereign. He remains in control. So he is at work in a sense, but what he has rested from is his work of creation. That's what's made clear in Genesis chapter 2. God's rest was not inactivity, but the cessation of his creative activities. We see this as well in Jesus' statement in John chapter 5, verse 17. My father is working until now, and I am working. He's not contradicting Genesis chapter 2. He's saying God is at work in a unique way. It's different than his, or it's, it, it's different than his creative work that he did in the beginning. So there's a sense in which the father is both resting and working. He is resting from his creative activity and engaging in the ongoing work of preserving his world and especially his covenant people within this world. So God rested for at least three reasons. One, his work as creator was complete. He had done all that he set out to do in creation. His work was finished in that creative sense. And so he rested. Uh, to he also rested in order to express his delight in creation. You see this in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, he had been saying good at several points in the other, uh, at the end of each other day of creative activity. He said, this is good. He saw it all, and it was good. But then at the very end, he says he looked at everything that he had made, including man, made in his image, male and female, and he says it is very good. So he expresses his delight in this way. He's not weary from the creative activity. He's not like drained after doing this work of creation, so he has to rest. No, he's joyfully contemplating the beauty and the perfection of his world. So when we call our when we when when the word of God calls you to rest, it is in that sense. It doesn't mean that that the one who wins the greatest reward is the one who who moves the least on Sunday, right? 
the one who, who, who just stays as stationary as possible and because, because you are the least active. No. It, Sabbath rest is about appreciating, about enjoying, about looking out at God's wonderful creation and his blessings in our lives and enjoying them, celebrating them together, reflecting upon his goodness, not being distracted on this day of all days. Be distracted by work. You have to be, and you can work to his glory. But on this day, set that work aside. Focus on his goodness. Rest in him. And lastly, God pictured the rest that he would provide for man. And you can look at Hebrews chapter 4. We'll look at that in a few weeks. But Hebrews chapter 4 gives this, uh, this parallel from God's rest to the rest that we enjoy. It's a model. It's meant to be a model for us and a picture of his rest. So if God's rest on the seventh day serves as a model for our Sabbath rest, then it should involve cessation from our labors on the other six days. And I think, you know, I, I am, I'm not going to get into it today and, and, and probably not in the few weeks. I'm not going to delineate every line item for you that says these are the things you can and cannot do this day. And when you start to go down that road, I think you, again, lose sight of, of the purpose. But when you fill the day with what it's meant to be for, when you fill the day with all of the purpose that God has given it, then you will be encouraged and blessed. And how would you want to be distracted by anything else? That's the point. It's not that you would say, well, I, I really got to do this today. No, but when you're focused on the things that God has given you to focus on on this day, then, then you lose sight of those other things. They don't become nearly as important to you. But you can and should take care of them the other six days. Okay, so if God's rest on the seventh day serves as a model for our Sabbath rest, then it should involve cessation from our labors on the other six days. God's final creative act was to sanctify the seventh day, to set it apart, to make it holy. He set it apart from the rest of the week. God's example of rest was a morally or it has a morally binding force as soon as he sanctified it. He set the day apart for a unique purpose in relation to the other six days from the very beginning. In that sense, it's a creation ordinance. So in 1 Kings 7, Solomon builds a palace for himself, luxurious palace. And then a few chapters later, he builds a house for the Lord. He builds the temple. And what made the temple special in comparison to Solomon's house? What was the fact that God sanctified the temple? He set it apart for holy purposes. He made it more special, in fact, than any other building in existence. And so in sanctifying it, he gave it a purpose unique to all other structures. Now, last week, we considered the idea of profaning God's name, not taking the Lord's name in vain. It's treating his holy name as if it were just a common name. Likewise, we profane his holy day when we treat it common, when we treat it like any other day. 
So I like saying that there are 52 holy days on our church calendar. Every Sunday is a holy day. There are some churches that look at the calendar and they celebrate various seasons. And it's not that that's necessarily a bad thing in itself, but, it, but we should honor every Sunday as a holy day. So when we remember the Sabbath day, we receive the blessings associated with undistracted communion with the Lord. That's what it's meant to be for. It's, it's to set aside our distractions and to focus on communion with him. That doesn't mean you can't be communing with others. We're here communing with one another as well, right? We're celebrating that, but we're, our focus and our hearts are, are hopefully united as we're centered on Christ, as we're united in him, as we're gathered together in his name. So when we remember the Sabbath day, we receive the blessings that are associated with that undistracted communion. And by blessing the day, it becomes God's vehicle for blessing mankind. It's, it's, the, it's one of the means by which God gives blessings to us as his people, which is why it's so hard when we remain in isolation. And it should be, because there's something missing. So the fact that the Sabbath is a creation ordinance implies a perpetuity to its commandment. It, it belongs to the same category in which marriage and work fit. These ordinances will continue until they are consummated in glory. And since the Sabbath is a creation ordinance, violating it is on par with violating the institution of marriage or work. And you see some of the strongest rebukes when you violate your covenant marriage or when you decide you no longer need to work for a living, right? when you forsake that command, that charge. And the, the one who does not work is is, is condemned in Scripture. So, uh, the fact that the Sabbath is a creation ordinance implies that it's ongoing relevance, and since the Sabbath is um, a creation ordinance, violating is on par with violating marriage or work. So, apart from the fall, the world requires three fundamental things, marriage, work, and Sabbath. So, God made the Sabbath for Adam and Eve before the fall, if a perfect man in a perfect world needed the Sabbath, how much more do we? The greatest motivation to keep the Sabbath is to imitate God. That's what we see here in Genesis 2. John Murray, in Principles of Conduct, says, We are never more like God than when we keep the Sabbath day. It's a strong encouragement to take this day seriously. Now, why don't we continue to honor the seventh day, which would be Saturday? Well, certain moral laws have ceremonial elements attached to them, and the day changed, but the moral obligation to observe the day remained the same. The Sabbath was honored on Saturday up until Christ's resurrection, and then very clearly in the New Testament, it shifts to Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. 
can read that argument and the scripture proofs that are attached to it in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, section 7. So God didn't command Adam and Eve to, <clears throat> to uh, some, some say, but God didn't command Adam and Eve to honor the Sabbath. Well, neither did he command marriage. But we agree that he established it as a creation ordinance as we look outside of the creation account. You can read in Matthew 19, as well as at the end of Genesis chapter 2, you have that um, recognition that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. But there's no direct command there for marriage. In fact, we could say he didn't forbid murder in the creation account. But Cain knew it was wrong because the moral law was written on his heart. So maybe you've heard parents say, as long as you're living under my roof, you must follow my rules. Every parent should say that at some point in their life. And we all need to hear it. Well, that's equally apl applicable to the Sabbath. As long as we are living in the Lord's world, we must observe the rules he has established. And they're established for our good. <clears throat> Some argue that Jesus fulfilled the fourth commandment, so we no longer have to observe it. And they look at Hebrews 4 in particular for that argument. But if that's the case, do we think like that regarding any of the other commandments? Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the Ten Commandments perfectly. He did so on behalf of all who place their faith in him. So this is a glorious truth that we must keep in mind as we learn about the implications of each commandment. We never want to lose sight of Christ's perfect fulfillment of every single command. But Christ's fulfillment never negates the Christian's duty to obey them. Think of how ludicrous that would be. Because Christ fulfilled the commandment to murder, I now am free to murder. Since Christ fulfilled the commandment not to steal, I can go out and loot. No, in fact, because of Christ's fulfillment, we can have confidence in our ability to observe the commandments, however imperfectly in this life. Through our union with Christ and by the help of the Holy Spirit. We recognize Christ's fulfillment. We trust in him. We receive his imputed righteousness. And then because of our union with him, by the spirit, we walk in obedience to his moral law. Imperfectly in this life. So this first question regarding this commandment that we need to ask ourselves is, do we treat Sunday any different than Monday through Saturday? That's the first question you should consider. How are you honoring the whole day that the Lord has sanctified? And we'll continue to define what that looks like in a moment, but take some time to reflect whether or not Sunday is any different than the rest of the week. And I'm, I'm talking about the whole day. Not just the time that we gather together, but how we honor the rest of our time today. Does it look any different? If not, 
that's something to consider. And that's something to recognize because it is a fundamental importance of honoring this day, of remembering this day. There's also a few other passages to consider before we get to Exodus 20. As we begin to look at the observance of the Sabbath, look ahead to Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. We read, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings. So some have have argued that scripture is silent between the creation account and Exodus 20. And they say there's no way that the Israelites um, or the patriarchs were actually honoring this day because there's just no example of that, right? Yes, the, the Lord created the seventh day, made it holy, sanctified it, set apart and rested as a model for us, but But until we have that clear command in Exodus 20, there's no indication that the people of God were doing anything different that day. Well, this is a passage that we should consider. We don't have uh, any record, or sorry, we don't have a record of everything that the Lord told Adam and Eve. So there may have been direct instruction regarding how to remember the Sabbath that we simply don't have. Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe prior to any formal commandment uh, is recorded. There's no instruction regarding offering sacrifices, yet we see here Cain and Abel offering them. Moses didn't write a history of marriage, work, or Sabbath observance, but they were all creation ordinances that appear to have been practiced according to God's moral law from creation onward. So A.W. Pink says, no less than 2,500 years of human history are covered by those first 68 chapters of the Bible. Thus it is evident that at one, or sorry, thus it is evident at once that the Holy Spirit has seen fit to give us little more than a fragmentary account of what transpired during the infancy of our race. Speaking of the human race. So in Genesis 4, 3 through 4, we learn that Cain and Abel each brought offerings to the Lord. Cain brought a fruit offering, while Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Both of them were, were bringing their offerings according to their, their calling, or at least their vocation in life. Obviously, Abel's was accepted, and, and, and Cain was angry because... His, because his offering, um, for, sorry, uh, you look at verse 4, Abel also brought to the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. As not to, it, we don't know why that is. But there's some indication that what Abel was offering was in, in accordance with God's desire. Right, that we at least can say that. It, the, the way he offered it, maybe it was the motive beneath his offering, maybe it was the kind of specific offering that he gave. It was the firstborn. It had fat portions. Whereas the fruit that, that Cain offered, maybe it was the kind that was already dead and useless. It was the kind that had dropped and had shriveled. Right? And he was saying, well, I can't do anything with this. I'll offer that to the Lord. We don't know that. 
But whatever he was doing, the way he was doing it is, is rejected. And because of that, he becomes angry and he kills his brother. But notice the, the phrase there at the very beginning of verse 3, in the course of time. In Hebrew, this is literally at the end of days. So they did this in the course of time or at the end of days. And in light of Moses' use of that language day in the creation account, it's very possible and I think probable that what is meant here is that at the end of the week, they did this. At the end of the week, they offered their sacrifices. They brought their sacrifices to the Lord. So the first principle that we learn regarding Sabbath observance is special worship. It's a day set apart to bring our sacrificial offerings to the Lord, an offering of praise. Another important passage is Exodus 16. And so you can jump back and go just a little bit prior to the passage we looked at earlier. Exodus chapter 16, verses 22 through 30. This is in the midst of God instructing Israel about the gathering uh, of manna. He's giving them instruction about how God will provide for them while they're in the wilderness. And in verse 22 of Exodus 16, we read, On the sixth day, so on Friday, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. We haven't even got to Exodus 20 yet. And he's talking about the day that is to follow is a solemn rest, a day that's been set apart. Bake what you will, what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none." On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. In direct uh, contradiction to the instruction they had just received, they went out to gather on the Sabbath. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Now think about that. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? If this is the first time that Jesus is instructing them, or that, that the Lord is giving them the instruction to honor the Sabbath day, to not work on that day? How would he become so disturbed by their first rejection of that command? Right? By the, I mean, yes, that, that first act of disobedience deserved rebuke, but he's saying, how long will you continue to do this? It implies that they're regularly breaking the Sabbath, that they've had a history of breaking the Sabbath. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws, the commandments and laws that were written on their hearts, that had not been explicitly given on Sinai yet? 
And so verse 29, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Right, so Israel was aware of Sabbath laws before they received the Ten Commandments. That's very clear from this passage. And when God established the rules for collecting manna, he instructed them to gather twice as much on the sixth day so that they could have enough left over to eat on the seventh day without having to go out and gather, without having to break the Sabbath command. So this instruction was given so that they could observe a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Again, the purpose of this instruction, if you look back in, in chapter 16, of uh, Exodus 16, verse 4, we see the purpose of the instruction. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. He was providing for them, of course, and giving them manna, but he was also testing them to see if they would observe his instructions. And so the Lord's rebuke for those who broke the Sabbath rule indicates a long-standing pattern. How long will you break or will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So how, or, or what do we learn from this Sabbath observance is in this passage? The Sabbath, first of all, is given. In verse 29, he uses that language. The day has been given to you. A day of solemn rest. It's a gift. Not only was the manna a gift, but the day itself was a gift from God. And this implies that we should refrain from ordinary work on the Sabbath. We should rest in that gift. The day belongs to the Lord, according to verse 23. The sixth day is a day of preparation for worship. Notice that day they were supposed to go out and gather twice as much. Some question, well, but what if I have to go shopping? Well, the day of preparation is for that. The sixth day is a day of preparation for the worship and rest that will be enjoyed on the seventh day. All right. Four principles that we learn from Exodus 20, and I'm sorry I belabored those points earlier, but I want to give you just a, a simple outline for this passage in Exodus 20. And we will go a little over time. Four general principles in the fourth commandment. Two positive, two negative. First of all, remember the Sabbath day is, is one positive command. Remember the Sabbath day. Two, keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day. It implies prior knowledge. The idea that you're called to remember it means there's probably some prior knowledge of this day. Not forgetting as, as well as observing and celebrating the day. It's like an anniversary every week. We can celebrate and we can observe the day. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 12 where, where Moses uh, gives the law again, which is what Deuteron Deuteronomos means, Deuteronomy. It's the second giving of the law. Verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Instead of remember the Sabbath day, here it says it differently. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded 
you. So, all of that is implied here in remembering. It's an observing and a keeping. Devoting the time requires that we keep our schedule free from other arrangements. The entire day is booked for the Lord. Again, that doesn't mean you can't have fellowship. You can't have people over. You can't show hospitality. You can't go out and serve and love your neighbor, show mercy and, and do deeds of kindness. I think those are all aligned with, with celebrating and honoring this day. But the whole day is for the Lord. Secondly, keep it holy. Again, it's set apart. This is right in line with what I've just said. It's set apart. It's not a common day. Whether the context is in your private, family, or public worship, it should have a holy purpose. Whatever you're doing should be for the Lord. And, and some of you are thinking, yeah, but isn't that the same as every other day? Well, you can do other things for the glory of the Lord, yes, on those other days, but, but on this day, you set aside those things. You set aside your work. You set aside the things that are distracting you from focusing upon his blessings. Keep it holy. Okay, so remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Two negative commands as well. Do not do any work. Secondly, do not employ others. So this is not inactivity, as we already said. Keeping the Sabbath holy is not defined by sleep. Worship and service for God will involve energy, possibly even more than your secular work. Your Sabbath day may be the, the day where you are the most exhausted because you're giving yourself fully to God's kingdom purposes. And it can be exhausting to serve others in that way, to give of yourself so entirely. You may even need to rest on that day, to literally taking a nap in order to gear up to show more mercy and kindness. So do not do any work. Secondly, do not employ others. Specifically, we're, we're not to require work. Notice back in the command, this is uh, verse 10, on the seventh day, or but the seventh day, is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. We're forbidden from causing our servants and animals to work on this day. Now, in an agrarian society, animals were used for work. That's how they got their job done. The animals needed rest as well. So that's why you could not use them. Lastly, we should not employ the sojourner. That includes those outside of the covenant community. You say, but I, they're going to work anyways. Right? What does it matter if I employ them? They're going to work anyways. They're there. The store's open. They're at the register. If I'm not buying something, someone else will. They're not going to quit just because I'm not giving them money. That's not for you to decide. The commandment has universal application, and so I do think we should consider unnecessary shopping, dining out, even paid recreation. It's falling under these, this command. But before you get into all of the caveats and explaining away the simple command, 
Listen to Walter Chantry. He says, it is important that before you face the dazzling complexities of supposed difficult cases, and there are many, and I struggle to, to answer them all, the dazzling complexities of supposed difficult cases, it is important that you ponder the simplicity and practicality of this law. It's not hard to understand. It's, it's not confusing on the surface. It's quite simple. Remember the day, keep it holy, do not work, and don't employ others. So when the rich young ruler asked Jesus what he must do to have eternal life, Jesus teaches us that the Ten Commandments are morally binding. And his response, Matthew 19. So that means we cannot disregard the fourth commandment any more than we could disregard the other nine. However, we should also recognize that our obedience to the fourth commandment will always be imperfect in this life. I know I've beaten you up. I've been beating myself up preparing for this. Our observance of the Sabbath day, of the Christian Sabbath, will always be tainted by impure motives and easy distractions. We need a Savior who satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. We need a Savior who observed the fourth commandment and all of God's moral law without a moment of compromise. When we fail to live up to the standard set before us in this commandment, we don't excuse or minimize it. Rather, we confess our sin and we rest in the forgiveness that can only be found in Christ alone who perfectly fulfilled it. And now in the midst of a restless and a chaotic world, we need to be able to set apart a day to focus our minds and our hearts upon God. We need this reminder right now. Let us find rest that we so desperately need on this Lord's Day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, uh, it's so easy to lose sight of the precious gospel message as we are considering all the ways in which we've broken your righteous requirements, the righteous demands of your holy law. Lord, may we not minimize the demands. May we not excuse them away. But let us recognize that those demands were only met perfectly by the, the perfect work of your Son on our behalf, his, the life that he lived, the death that he died, the resurrection that he won. Lord, it, he did everything that we could not do for ourselves, including keeping this day holy. Lord, we can rest in his goodness. We can rest in the satisfying work of Christ on our behalf. And then we can walk in obedience to your commands, Lord, by his spirit. So guide us in that way today. Lead us 
Help us to put the needs of others above our own. Help us to consider the needs of our neighbor. Help us to not remain in a sense of self-condemnation, but to be lifted up by the gospel message of hope. And to know that by your spirit, we can honor you, we can please you, can give you praise with our lives. And Lord, as we go home and as we return to our, our, our routines, help us to recognize that this day has been set apart to do things differently today, to keep you the center of it all. For your glory, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.